You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. All right, so we're going to continue our series. We're going to finish up our series, actually. Um, the So You're a Christian, Now What? series. We started it several weeks ago, and, and the point of it has been to say, hey, look, once you're a Christian, that is not the end. It's just the beginning. You become a Christian, and then there's, there's so much more for us to learn and so much more for us to grow in and uh, to begin to understand. And so we've been talking about lots of different things. Tonight, we're going to talk about what does it look like to share Jesus with other people? and to make disciples, as we've been called to do. Uh, But as we're doing that, I want us to look at a little bit of the Christmas story because it makes sense to do that tonight, right? We're, uh, this is a Christmassy sojourn. We've still got several, you know, weeks until Christmas, but uh, we're going to read some of the Christmas story and and show how this even launches us into this thought of how do we share Jesus and how do we make disciples and all that. So uh, if you will, turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 8 through 20. So this is going to be sounding real familiar because it is the Christmas story you probably hear read or maybe have read yourself a bunch of times. Um, but we're going to read it and then key in on something that we see in there. So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, and they should be on the screen as well if you want to follow along there. So starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And when they went, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at, the shepherds, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I want us to focus in on the shepherds for a second. Maybe you've heard somebody come at it from this angle before, but the shepherds, they, they hear from the angels that a baby is born, and they respond. They hear them, the angels tell them about uh, a Savior being born and, and how they can find the Savior, and they respond to the news that had been shared with them. And they came to the place where the baby lay, and they shared with Mary and Joseph what they had been told. They came and they saw and they were witnesses of these things. And when they went out from there, they could not contain themselves, but couldn't help themselves but, but praise and glorify God for all that they had heard and seen. And they, they shared it with people. And, and they, they had shared these things that they had heard and seen with people. And, and it was like they had experienced this thing, right? They had seen and they had heard and they couldn't help but share that with other people. And I'm afraid that a lot of us, our experience of having heard and seen some of these same things, I know we didn't see Jesus lying in a manger, right? 
but we've heard that he's a savior. We've read these things. It's been portrayed to us. We've even experienced salvation for a lot of us. And I'm afraid that a lot of us don't have the same excitement coming away from that that the shepherds did. And maybe it's that we lost our initial excitement. Like we were excited at one point in time. Maybe you can think back to when you got saved, whether that was when you were a kid or in high school or maybe even in college. Um, you know, as you've gotten older, maybe it's, it's then that you got saved. And you can remember the excitement then of what that was like. But, you know, over time, some of that newness wears off, right? And you've probably experienced some of the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of what it means to walk as a Christian through this life. And, and it's not always easy. And we don't naturally feel this inner urge a whole lot to respond in the same way, respond with such excitement. And we don't feel this inner urge to share that what, what we've seen and what we've heard. Maybe it's that we never really understood that that's what we we're supposed to do. Maybe you didn't come from a background where when you came to faith, people encouraged you to share that with other people. Um, and, and maybe you just have never really understood that that is, that is part of what it means to be a Christian. You know, we can easily fixate on our personal walk with the Lord. Get really uh, kind of fixed on how am I, how am I doing with my relationship with Jesus? How am I growing? How am I how am I doing in obedience or even fixate on how am I failing to obey? And it can become a really internalized and just personal thing that we sort of neglect its implications for everyday life with relationships and in our contexts. And it becomes this sort of just like, you know, me and Jesus thing. And it's, it's really just kind of an internal thing and it doesn't really affect a whole lot of my external. But we need to remember that our faith isn't just a vertical relationship between us and God, but it's also something lived out in the horizontal. And really, if our vertical is going well between us and the Lord, it ought to spill over into our horizontal all the more. And the horizontal relationships that we have with other people, those will be the places where our love for the Lord and our relationship with the Lord and the health of that are actually portrayed. And so, you know, we started this series when we were talking about, so you're a Christian now, what? We said, okay, what is our purpose? What are we supposed to do? And we said it's to love God and love people, and we kind of phrased that by saying, hey, we want to honor the Lord with everything that we do and everything that we are, and we want to point other people to him. And tonight, we're going to focus in on what it looks like to point other people to him on that second part. And we're going to try to answer this question, like, what does it look like, or, or how do I point other people to Jesus? And maybe you've heard that uh, talked about as evangelism. Like, how do I share Jesus with people? But also, how do I go about making disciples? Because that that is a phrase that we know comes from Jesus when we make disciples. And so how do we do that? And for that tonight, we're going to be in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 14. Okay, so 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 14, this is going to be our primary text for the night where we're going to be talking from. So uh, you can follow along on the screen. You can open up there if you would like and follow along. But we're going to, I'm going to start reading in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to go verses 8 through 14. Okay, and this is Paul writing to Timothy, someone that he, was, he had discipled. Therefore, do not be, be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, 
and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. From this, we're going to try to see a few things that are related to these questions that we're asking. How do I share Jesus with people? How do I make disciples? We're going to look at this this text and try to uh, pull out some of these things from what Paul is sharing with Timothy. Here's, here's the first thing I want us to see. It comes right in the very beginning of what we read. That we shouldn't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Literally the first thing in this passage. Therefore, do not be ashamed about, of the testimony about our Lord. It's the first thing we, that we read. And then in verse 12, Paul goes on and says that he is not ashamed. And then elsewhere in Romans 1, 16, pretty well-known verse, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. He's making it very plain and clear, and he's telling Timothy also to not be ashamed of the gospel. But sometimes it seems like we are ashamed of the gospel. You know, why would we be? I don't know. I can't answer why we would be, but practically speaking, if you looked at our lives, it seems like maybe we are ashamed of the gospel from time to time. I, I think it's because, I think it's because it's so hard to be different it's like so hard to go against the grain of what is normal. And in our, in our culture, like our culture, it is not, uh, it's not normal to be sold out to Christ and to talk about that and to be open with it and, and talk about it with things. And I think culture would say, hey, that's great for you. You can believe that, but, but keep it to yourself. Don't try to push that on me. But we as Christians, we can't help ourselves, right? We're like the shepherds. Like, I, I've got to be talking about this. And practically speaking, though, we shrink back from that because it's so hard to go be different and to go against the grain of what's going on around us. But here's the thing. We are not normal. We're not normal by any standard of the world's. We are those who have been brought from death to life as Christians. And there's no shame in this. Actually, it's the opposite. We've been set free from shame. We've been set free from shame, so we shouldn't feel ashamed of claiming Christ. It's okay for us to stand out. It doesn't matter what we look like to the outside world to people who haven't seen what we've seen, haven't heard what we've heard, haven't experienced what we've experienced, haven't received what we've received. You know, when other people look at us, no matter what it is that they see or what they think about us and about our faith, we are actually the free ones. We are actually the ones who have been set right the way that we were intended to be. You know, Paul's in prison at this moment when he's writing these things, but he's not acting like it. You know, actually, he goes on in, in the second chapter of this letter, and he says that he may be bound, but the word of God isn't. He's got this mindset that is so different, like so unlike somebody you would think was in prison and, and experiencing the things that he has experienced. How can he have this mindset? It's because there's freedom that we can know in Christ that nothing in the world could stifle. Nothing in the world could, could bring it down. Look why Paul says that he's not ashamed. This is his explanation for not being ashamed in verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Not I know what I believed. He certainly believed a lot of things, too, that were very important. But he hadn't come to some stale belief, but rather to a risen Savior. He had a personal relationship with the Lord, a risen Savior, and you and I, we also know that one. We also have a relationship with our living Savior. 
and the one that we've put our trust in, and that changes everything for us. The same way it changed everything for Paul, it changes everything for us. And it changes who we are. And through that, changes what we're about. So Paul, in another place, uh, says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, kind of on this same vein, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We, in Christ, are new. The old is gone. We are something totally different than the rest of the world. We've been reconciled to our God. And as those who've been reconciled, we're now reconcilers. That's what he says. We now have the ministry of reconciliation. God is making his appeal through us. We are his ambassadors to the rest of the world to share this message of what has happened to us. And it's like the Lord is trying to make this appeal. He's saying, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and you'll find rest. You'll find salvation, forgiveness in me. And that's the appeal he's making through us to the rest of the world. This verse 21, I mean, you can't repeat it enough. Verse 21, he made, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, this is, this is what Christ has done for us. Our sin on him on the cross so that we might receive his righteousness by faith. And it's all his grace, his work in us. And this is what we've received and this is what we are to, to share. And that actually, you know, kind of leads to the next point what it is that we need to be sharing. We need to be clear about what we're testifying or what we're testifying to. I didn't really know how to word that, to be honest. But we shouldn't be ashamed of the testimony. And then we need to know what the testimony is, basically. We need to know the gospel. I think if, if a lot of you were pressed to it, you could explain the gospel. If I asked you right now to stand up here and share it with other people, you'd probably like, you know, sort of tense up and you'd be like, am I really gonna say all the right things? Like, is there a perfect list of things? Well, yeah, there's some certain things that you need to include in the gospel, absolutely. You know, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You don't want to leave out any one of those things. Um, you don't want to leave out the fact that we needed a Savior in the first place. But here's, in this, in this passage, you may not have caught it the first time. When we read through verses 9 and 10, Paul is actually reminding Timothy of the, the tenets of the gospel that he is suffering for. He says he's suffering for the gospel, and then he goes on to explain that gospel in verses 9 and 10. And what you see in there is that God is the one who saved us. God did the work to save us. And that he's the one who has called us to a holy calling. He's called us to be set apart. That this wasn't because of our works. This came about by his own will and by his purposes and through his grace. It was accomplished through Jesus, the son of God who was with God before the ages. He's appeared and manifested his plan in real time by coming as a man he overcame death and brought life and immortality to light through his resurrection. And this is what has come to us in the gospel. Some basic things that you can go and say, look, yes, this was God's eternal plan. This is God's purpose and his will. It's not because of anything that we did, but rather something he accomplished. Jesus came, the son of God took on flesh. He died on a cross, a sacrificial death for me so that my sin might be on him and I would receive uh, forgiveness and not condemnation. 
And then rather, he's, he's risen from the grave. He's not still dead. And because he's alive, he can offer salvation to me. And he can be a living savior for me. And all these things are absolutely necessary. And you and I need to be clear about these things. We need to know these things. And if you feel like you don't know these things, study up on these things. It's really not hard to begin to get a grasp of what it is that Christ has done for you. I hope that you, at least at one point in time, have understood what Christ has done for you if you are in Christ. If you've been saved, I hope that you're growing in this understanding of what he has done, that we needed saving, and God has accomplished this for us in Christ. And we've been reconciled to God based on what Jesus has done for him. Like Like that verse talked about a minute ago, my sin on him at the cross. And, and defeated in death, and then risen from the grave in victory that he might offer me his righteousness. Only a living Savior can actually reconcile us to God. And so these are the things that we need to be clear about. This is what we're testifying to. And you may have heard, um, you know, people talk about when you're sharing Jesus with other people, you want to share your testimony, what it is that God has done for you, right? And I think sometimes we make the testimony <clears throat> something it's not supposed to be. And we make it a little bit too much about us and about our story. We think that's what we're doing. We think we're sharing our story. But the thing is, the, the, gospel, the gospel is the bulk of our testimony. Your testimony isn't really about you. It's not necessarily your story. It is what God has accomplished in your life and for you. And there's not a single testimony that's less powerful than any other. I'm sure you've heard some testimonies in your life that you're like, man, that was so powerful. Can't believe what God did in that person's life. Listen, there's no testimony that's less powerful than any other testimony if you are in Christ. The same reconciliation was necessary for every one of us. The same great links Jesus had to go to to accomplish salvation for every single one of us. No matter what you think your testimony is, your testimony is the gospel, and it's an amazing testimony. Praise God if it feels like your testimony is boring, like there hasn't been that many things that have been crazy in your life. But even if you think it's boring, I promise you it's not. Because the greatest thing that's ever happened to any person has happened to you if you're in Christ. An amazing story can be told. It's the furthest thing from boring. So yeah, tell people what Jesus has done. And if, if in telling them what Jesus has done in your life, some of your story comes out and what God has saved you from and what he saved you to, then great. You're able to embody the gospel for people, for them to see what the gospel does in an actual person's life. But by all means, it's not ultimately a story about you. And I don't know about you, but that, that removes some pressure from me. I don't have to feel like I got to jazz up my story a little bit to make my testimony better. If my testimony is as simple as I knew I needed a Savior because of my sin, and I knew I was separated from God, and, and Jesus came and did this for me, and, and now because I put my faith in him, I, I belong to God, and I'm reconciled to him, that's it. Then that's perfect. That's a great testimony. If Jesus has saved you, you have an amazing story, and it's his story. So we need to know what we're testifying about. A third thing, though, is that we can expect various responses. When we share the gospel, or even when we try to disciple somebody, we can expect various responses. Anytime you talk about Jesus with people who don't know him yet, there's going to be a range of possible outcomes. Okay, And, and honestly, it's, it's also true when you share with, uh, with people who say they know Jesus. You might know somebody who claims faith, and maybe they had a point in their life back in the day where they put their faith in Jesus, but they haven't really been acting like it, and you want to talk to them about Jesus or maybe try to hold them accountable, help them to, to see how to walk with Christ. The same possible responses are there for that too. 
And here's, here's the, the range of possibilities. For one, the person could reject you and the conversation. They could totally reject you. And in Paul's case, when they rejected him, they persecuted, for him, uh, persecuted him for that, and then they put him in prison. But that didn't stop him. He was still sharing the gospel even from prison and writing his letters and all these things. Negative responses absolutely are possible if you share Jesus with people. If you try to have Jesus conversations with people, there's a good chance that you'll be rejected. A good chance you'll be rejected at least from time to time. It shouldn't catch us off guard. But the negative responses that we could have shouldn't keep us from sharing. There's a second thing that could happen. The person that you're talking to could show more interest or show some interest and want to know more. And if that's the case, you just continue the conversation whenever and however you can. Keep talking to that person about it. A third possibility is also there. The person could repent and believe and be saved. And if that's ever an option, I think it's a good enough reason for us to actually share. These three options were all on display in Acts 17, 32 through 34. Paul was sharing in Athens at this place where people could stand up and share their thoughts or whatever on, on any number of things, and people heard him explain the gospel. And here's what happened when he shared about Jesus and a resurrected Savior. It says, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. There it is. There's the options of how people could respond. Some could mock. Some could say, we'll hear you again about this. Let's have further conversation about this. And then some will believe. And I love that they lists names. This isn't just like, hey, a couple people believed and you just got to assume that that actually happened. No, he listed names of people who came to faith then, right then and there when, Jesus, when, when Paul stood up and shared about Jesus. You don't know how people will respond if you talk about Jesus with them. You don't. But that's not up to you. Jesus told that parable of the, the sower of the seeds. You know, he said that one would sow seeds and uh, various things could possibly happen. The seed could get snatched up uh, real quick, or it could not take deep enough root and wither away, or it could take root but then grow up and the cares of the world would choke it out. And he said that other seed would fall on good soil and that it would produce a harvest, and maybe even a harvest that would exceed all expectations. He laid this out for us to say, hey, you don't know what's going to happen when you share the truth with people, but it shouldn't keep you from sharing the truth. You don't know what kind of soil you're dealing with people. You don't know what will stick and what won't. Some of it won't stick. But when it does, when it does, it's absolutely worth the effort that you put forth to share. Do you all know what it's like to share Jesus with somebody and them come to faith? Have you ever experienced that? Or even just go beyond that and say, have you, have you ever experienced just being with somebody when they came to faith? For the first time, the light bulb goes on and they, they come to faith and they're saved. It's an amazing experience. It's an amazing joy-filled experience. And I'm gonna, I'll admit, I don't share Jesus with lost people like I should. I don't. I don't go out and share with people the, as, you know, as much as I would like to. Or, or really, I don't just like 
cold evangelism, walk up to people and start conversations ever. I'd like to get to the place where I do. But I'm fortunate enough to have a job where I get to share Jesus with people who come to me. <laughs> they come to me and they ask questions and they, they want to know. And I get a chance to share with them. And I think of one time in particular as a student pastor, there was a student in our ministry who was kind of resistant to the gospel. He had believing parents. He had been in church all his life. He had heard the gospel a lot, but he was kind of just cold to it. And so he, he knew about all these things. And I think he actually believed that Jesus really did come, that Jesus d- did die, and that he was resurrected and all that stuff. I think he believed those things, but he never, he never felt anything about it. He was just sort of like distant from it. And we had had conversations. We were close. I was actually close with his whole family. Um, and he had other brothers, like he had younger brothers, and, and I was kind of tight with all of them. And it kind of broke his parents' heart to see, like, he's just not, he's not getting it or something. But, man, one day in worship, there was a lyric to a song. I don't even remember what song it was. It's been way too many years ago now. But a, the lyrics of a song got to him, finally. It just clicked. All the things that he had heard and believed, it just made sense. It's like the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to see and understand. And he was saved right there on the spot. He put faith in Jesus right then. And when he came to tell me, like, I can't explain to you, like, the joy you know, like in his face. And the joy that I got to experience from knowing him and being there with him when he, when he put his faith in Jesus. And I get joy right now thinking about it. It's been eight years probably. And like, I can still remember like the joy from that experience. And there've been plenty of others along the way, but this is just the one that I thought of today. I just want you to know, like there's an, an amazing, immense joy when you, when you share Jesus with somebody and they get it especially when they come to faith for the first time, man, it will light you up and you will not want to to not do that again, you know? So please don't let the fear of rejection, because you may be rejected at times, but don't let the fear of rejection cause you to miss the potential joy of actually seeing the harvest. It will absolutely be worth it. There's a fourth thing, the Holy Spirit can be trusted to guard and empower. So there's three verses in our text that I want us to to notice on this. So verse eight, he's talking about sharing in suffering for the gospel says, by the power of God. And then in verse 12, he says that he's convinced that, uh, that the one who he has believed is able to guard what's been entrusted to him. And then in verse 14, he's telling Timothy, by the Holy Spirit, guard the good deposit. And so we see the Holy Spirit kind of being involved here, working to empower us to move forward with the gospel. And there's two sides of it, really. He's, it's like he's enabling us to face what's going to come and, and what might come when we share the gospel. And also, he's enabling us to guard this good deposit of faith in the gospel that we have. So the Holy Spirit is empowering us to, to keep going, for one, and also to guard that faith that is, that is ours. But also, he is going to work to guard it. So we're guarding. He is also working to guard. And as you look a little closer and consider what it is that he's really guarding and how he's empowering, there's a few things that I, that I know he's doing. For one, he is guarding the hope that is in us you're absolutely going to have times where you're tempted to lose hope. There'll be difficult things that come up, maybe difficult things that come up if you try to talk about, about Jesus with people. And you got to know that he is the one who upholds you when you feel a lack of hope. He's the one that reminds us of the truth of our salvation. He reminds of his, us of its eternal implications. And that's a game changer for us. He is the one who helps us to cling to hope. Not only that, but he guards the truth. I want you to know the Holy Spirit is supremely interested in keeping the true gospel in circulation. The Holy Spirit has, has keen interest on making sure that the true gospel remains. 
And so he is doing that in us, keeping us grounded in the true gospel. He's at work in every single person who's received him. Every person who is in Christ, he is at work in you to help you to understand more fully what it is that Christ has done for you and to cling to that even when everything else tries to pull your attention away or tries to get you to doubt. And so he works in us so that we never forsake the truth that we have come to believe. Not only does he guard these things, but he also empowers us to endure. Because living a life of faith is going to have ups and downs. And some of those downs are going to be because you made a stand for the gospel or you shared the gospel with somebody or you tried to help somebody who's far from God to come back to God by sharing the truth with them and it backfired on you or it felt like it backfired on you. There's going to be some of those moments where because we were firm in our faith and we shared it with other people, you know, we experienced hardship because of it. I want you to know that he will strengthen you to face whatever ramifications there may be for you proclaiming the gospel. He can strengthen you to face those things and not to lose hope in the midst of it. And I actually think that it's the hope that we have in the midst of those situations and the humble attitude that we have because we know he's taking care of things and that we don't have to fight for ourselves or defend ourselves. It's that hope that we continue to have and that humble attitude that we continue to have that are the greatest witness to the power of the gospel. You know, Peter said this in 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16, related to, the, to what we're talking about. He said, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What he's saying there is, for one, that there's a hope within you, that is visible to other people. And that's what the Holy Spirit is guarding in us, right? He's guarding that hope in us so that when we do experience persecution for sharing about Christ, or even go beyond that and say, whenever you're facing hardship of any kind, you might continue to have hope. And when people look and they see the hope that's in you and they wonder what it is about you that is, that is clinging to hope in the midst of something difficult, they'll be able to see the gospel. You'll have an opportunity to share the gospel with, with them. And he says, when you get an opportunity, be ready to do it. Don't become hardened when life gets hard. It's going to. But no matter what, what brings on that difficulty, you got to know that there are opportunities in that difficulty where you might have an opportunity to share your hope in Jesus. And he's going to empower you to do that. Not only that, but he's going to empower us to share. Acts 1.8, when Jesus was about to go and ascend back into heaven, he said but, to the disciples, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Us sharing our faith, man, it's been a long track record. Ever since the disciples, the first believers, they've been sharing their faith, we've, you know, for generations upon generations. That's how the next generation hears, right? We share our faith and we pass it on. And it's not our idea, it's his idea. And he's determined to use our efforts. He's determined to use us and the gospel that is entrusted to us and he's, he's determined to use our efforts and make the most of them. And this is not to say that the Holy Spirit does everything. You know, this isn't like when we say that the Holy Spirit's going to guard, he's going to empower. This is not to say, leave it to the Holy Spirit. He can take care of, of business. You don't have to do anything. You know, that's not what, we're, what I'm trying to say. Honestly, because we know the Spirit is doing these things, we need to be sharing the gospel. If we know the Spirit could possibly use our efforts to bring someone to faith, then absolutely we, we should be sharing the gospel. And then we also need to pray. And prayer really should be the first step, probably. Praying for lost people. 
If you're not praying for lost people or people who are far from him, there's a good chance you're not even looking for lost people or looking for people who are far from him. There's a good chance you're not looking for an opportunity to have a conversation with people if you're not praying for lost people or people who are far from God. So I would say pray. Ask him to to help you reach these people. Ask him to show you those people in your life that you can reach out to with, with the gospel. And as you ask him to reach these people, whoever it is that come to mind for you, and as you ask him to soften their hearts to the truth, he is going to soften your heart toward them. That's part of what he does. As you ask him to soften the hearts of other people, he's going to soften your heart toward them so that you begin to look for those opportunities. How can I have this conversation with them? How can I get into this? And, and your love for those people are going, is going to increase as you pray for them. And you may not feel very bold to do any of this right now, but I promise you he can make you bold. He can make you bold. Look at this from Acts 4. Again, early church, Acts 4, 29 and 31. So they're praying at first in verse 29. It says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grants to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So they're praying for boldness. And then in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed for boldness, and they got boldness. Boldness comes with the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit, which you do if you're in Christ, then you can have boldness. So pray for it, lean into that spirit, and then start to speak. And you might be surprised at the boldness that shows up in you when you decide to actually open your mouth and try. You might be surprised by the, by the boldness he provides. There's a fifth thing, we're discipled to be, or we're discipled to make disciples. I, I referenced this earlier, you've probably heard the Great Commission before. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Sharing the gospel and people coming to faith is not the end. It's the beginning. It's like we said earlier, this is the point of the series. You didn't just get saved and then, okay, I guess that's good now. I'll just go on about life. No, rather when somebody gets saved, they need to be raised up, trained in how to walk with Jesus. They need somebody walking with them. And that's kind of what's happening right here in our passage. Timothy was a protege of Paul. He discipled him. He, he helped raise him up in the faith and he, he helped, him at, helped him as a minister of the gospel. And that's what this letter is even about. He's, he's saying this, even in verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. He's saying, look, Timothy, I've, I've passed on things to you. I've set an example for you. Follow my example. Just as I've discipled you, now I'll go pass it on to others. He actually says that in verse 2 of chapter 2. We just go down a few verses. He says, And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He says, I want you to take what you have learned from me, what you've seen in me, what you've heard from me, and then pass it on to other people. And that is exactly what we're called to do too. This is exactly what we're called to do. We are to pour out into others who will turn around and do the same for others after them. And if making disciples includes teaching others how to walk in obedience to the Lord, that means that we need to be faithful to the word ourselves, not being hearers only, but doers of the word. Because one huge aspect of of being a faithful witness for the Lord is being faithful to the Lord in the day-to-day. You're going to have a really hard time living a hypocritical lifestyle and sharing Jesus with other people. 
you have a really hard time knowing there's some things that God is calling you to do in obedience and not doing that, but then going over here and sharing Jesus with people or trying to disciple other people. It's going to be really difficult for you. I'm not saying it's, it's impossible for you to pour out and encourage other people even when you're still struggling with sin because all of us still struggle with sin. There's going to be room for all of us to grow. You're never going to reach the place where I've got it all together, now I can pour out on other people. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that we, we need to be careful about how we're living our lives, not just because it's a between me and Jesus thing, but because we know we're supposed to pass it on to other people. Like That's what we're called to do. And again, this isn't to say that we wait until we're in a good spot to start talking with other people about Jesus. Because maybe it's that talking about Jesus regularly with other people might be exactly what you need to walk in faithfulness in your day-to-day. I just want to make the point that it's going to be hard to share Christ or disciple others to be like Christ if we're not submitted to him ourselves. And that brings up another uh, really important aspect is this fact that we're all in a position that we need to be taught. We need to grow. We still need somebody investing in us. I still need somebody investing in me. Because we never reach the place where we've got it all together. But we need other people pouring into us so that we might pass it on. And understand, sorry, that's really loud. Understand this. I can only do so much from this platform 15 Wednesdays a semester to disciple you. So if you're looking to me to disciple you from here, I can't do enough from here. And listen, I want to be involved in your lives as much as you might want me to be. Some of you are like, it's okay, you don't have to be involved in my life. And okay, that's great. But as much as you would want me to be, I would like to be involved in your life. And I know I could speak for my wife, Amy, too, that she would love to be involved with every girl in this ministry, involved in their lives and know what's going on with them and do life-on-life discipleship. We would love to do that, to be involved with every single person. But here's the thing, we just, we only have so much time. We only have so much effort to give. And praise the Lord that so many of you have people around you already who can help you. So many of you have people already in in your life, like a community of of believers around you who can help you and pour into you and hold you accountable and, and watch out for you. And maybe people who are older than you pouring into you already. That's awesome. And if you do, Praise the Lord for that. Don't take it for granted. <clears throat> Others of you feel like you don't have that as much, and I would challenge you to consider who could be that for you. Who could be that for you? Who could pour into you? Are there people around you, friends that you could lean into more in that relationship and, and ask them to help pour into you? Is there somebody back home at a home church where you could ask them to pour into you? Is there uh, somebody on staff at the school that you go to you could pour into you? Is there a parent <clears throat> whoever it might be, it's okay to seek that out. It doesn't have to be like you wait on somebody to ask if, you, if they would like, don't, don't wait on somebody to ask if you would like them to invest in you. That's probably not gonna happen. It might, but seek somebody out. It's okay to do that. And listen, I wanna do that as much as I can. I wanna help you as much as I can. I'd love to help you get involved in a D group next semester where you can be around some other people who are like-minded and trying to grow together. I'd love to try to help you get connected with a more mature disciple or a believer from our church or get connected with somebody else, somebody else who I know who could be pouring into you or maybe even people within this group who I know are walking with Jesus and could be there with you and do life on life with you. I'd love to help you with that as much as I can. And look, just because I can't do life on life discipleship with you all the time doesn't mean I don't wanna help as much as I can. Doesn't mean I'm content with just 15 times standing up here in front of you and sharing a message on a Wednesday night. 
I want to be there for you and, and be there with you and pour into you in as much, as much ways as I can. And I will. But I also am trying to figure out ways to train you or train as many of you as I can or as many of you as, as would want it at other times outside of this time in what it looks like to make disciples and what it looks like to share the gospel with people. I want us to do that. Actually, something that we're going to be lo- looking toward next semester is trying to find some of those times. How can we train you in how to share the gospel with people? How can we train you to start those conversations, train you to disciple other people? And, and looking for that. But listen, I don't want to just wait till next semester. Like, I want to show you one tool that I want us to all get familiar with, okay? There's a, a three circles tool that, that I'm leaning into, and I, I want to learn more and, and be really familiar with it and comfortable with it. Look, it's just three circles, literally. There's a God's design. God designed us a certain way uh, to live in a certain way with him and for him, but sin has broken that, and it leads to brokenness. And now all of us outside of Christ are in that circle of brokenness and searching out, those little squiggly lines are searching out Searching out ways to fix the brokenness, searching out ways to sort of satisfy the, the, the needs and the desires that we feel that are being unsatisfied right now in our brokenness. I want to share with people and show them that if they repent and believe, they can be restored with the gospel. If they believe in what Christ has done for them, they can recover and pursue God's design for their lives. It's just a simple tool and one that I'd love to learn how to use myself and, and to teach you guys how to use. And it's just one example of what I want us to begin to do. Because I want us as a people not to just be content with coming to church, but to really be the church when we step out of here and really share Jesus with people and to try to disciple and raise other people up. Because look, Jesus has come. The God of the world has come. And to this, the shepherds were witnesses and they proclaimed it. They were bold with it. But we know more than they did. More has been revealed to us than they got to see. I know we didn't get to see Jesus laying in a manger. We didn't have angels come talking to us. But we've received the Holy Spirit. Okay, we, we have God living inside of us right now. And we have been forgiven. And we've been reconciled to God. And, and not only that, but we have his word. And we know that he's coming again. And we look forward to these things. And we have a hope. So let's be witnesses to what we've seen and what we've heard with the time that we have.